The Old Testament reading for this morning comes from the book of the prophet Hosea, beginning in the first chapter of the second verse. This is what's written. The first time God spoke to Hosea, the very first time God spoke to Hosea, God said this, Find a whore and marry her. Make this whore the mother of your children, and here's why. This whole country has become a whorehouse, unfaithful to me, God. So Hosea did it. He picked Gomer, daughter of Deblain, and she got pregnant and gave him a son. And then God told him, name him Jezreel. It won't be long now before I'll make the people of Israel pay for the massacre at Jezreel. I'm calling it quits on the kingdom of Israel. Payday is coming. I'm going to chop Israel's bows and arrows into kidling in the valley of Jezreel. Well, Gomer got pregnant again. And this time she had a daughter, and God told Hosea, This name, this one, no mercy. I'm fed up with Israel. I've run out of mercy. There's no more forgiveness. Judah's another story. I'll continue having mercy on them. I'll save them. It will be their God who saves them, not their armaments and armies, not their horsepower and manpower. And after Gomer had weaned no mercy, she got pregnant yet again and had a son. And God said, Name him nobody. You've become nobodies to me, and I, God, am a nobody to you. But down the road, the population of Israel is going to explode past counting like sand on the ocean beaches. In the very place where they were once named nobody, they will be named God somebody. Everybody in Judah and everybody in Israel will be assembled as one people, and they'll choose a single leader. There'll be no stopping them. A great day in Jezreel. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? O Lord, give us wisdom to perceive you, intelligence to understand you, diligence to seek you, patience to wait for you, eyes to see you, a heart to meditate on you, and life to proclaim you. Open our ears, our hearts, our minds to your word for us this day. Amen. You know, one of the oldest sayings in journalism is, if it bleeds, it leads. Blood and guts, disaster and mayhem, tragedy and terror have never failed to grab our attention and hold on to it for a while. Now, one would think that after all the evils of the last hundred years or so, two worldwide wars, the Holocaust, atomic weapons, mass shootings, 9-11, just to name a few, one would think that our thirst for images of death and destruction would be lessened. Yet it would seem to be just quite the opposite. It seems to me that more and more we are drawn to dark and violent images and stories. You know, we spend an awful lot of money trying to make ourselves feel secure from the raging violence in our society. And yet we delight in slasher and vampire movies. 
We moan about the senseless murder and violence on our streets, and yet we crank up the gangster rap on our stereos. We live with the very real threats of global warming, El Nino, toxic waste leaks, super viruses. And yet we tune in to disaster movies and Stephen King novels for even more scary situations. Why do you suppose it is that we can't seem to get enough of darkness in our lives? Why do we turn to even darker themes for our entertainment? Well, many experts claim that we're attracted to such dark themes because it reduces things to a simple right or wrong, light or dark way of looking at things. And much of the nuance is lost, and there doesn't appear to be quite as much gray to deal with. In this type of escapism, it's easy for us to be bad and come to terms with badness without any real consequences. It allows us, the experts say, a safe waywardness. Ironically to me, we tend to counterbalance this naughty naughtiness with an equally safe, simplistic inwardness that seeks to find answers based on easy, self-made, self-help, light, spirituality. You know, the kind that doesn't need a community, that can find God just as easily on a golf course as among a committed group of Christians trying to build a better kingdom in our time and place. You know, when grouped together, these two approaches to finding entertainment in dark things and spirituality light allow us to feel, perhaps, like we have engaged the powers of the truly evil and the truly good in the world around us. Well, we may fool ourselves for a bit, but the book of Hosea is memorable in part, I think, because of its dark beginning. If we remember anything at all about Hosea, it is likely that it was that he was the prophet that was married to a prostitute. But Hosea really is a dark tale with a twist. It's a rather dark tale that steadfastly resists an easy way out. You see, at the time, Israel was suffering from a really bad case of infidelity. Israelites were consistently lured away from Yahweh and into the Canaanite fertility practices. Now, they were still considering themselves a covenant people, while at the same time sinking into the seasonal worship demands of the Canaanite cults. And the cure that Yahweh prescribes through Hosea's ministry really uses the Canaanite myth against itself. Hosea takes Gomer, a prostitute, for his wife, and then proceeds to use this troubled relationship to reveal God's own presence and pain in Israel's life. And the prophet refused to take an easy way out. He didn't wallow around in the personal tragedy of his own life. Instead, he found that through a different way, a way of personal obedience and communal integrity, he could speak a genuine word of God to the people. And by taking this out of the ordinary path, Hosea could find meaning and redemption in his own struggle to remain a faithful husband and a faithful prophet of the Lord. He was most effective by his willingness to remain outside of the ordinary.
Now you know I really think that our own attraction to darkness is sugar-coated for us because we just claim that everybody is doing it, everybody is watching it. I think that's our new sense of ordinariness. Perhaps our biggest temptation anymore is not money or sex or power, but maybe simply just the temptation to be ordinary, to be like everybody else. Have you ever heard this? Well, everybody else is doing it. Why can't I? There you have it in one line, the temptation to just be ordinary. I want to tell you this morning that you weren't created as the unusually gifted and graced people that you are to be merely ordinary. I am not making this up. Look at the extraordinary means God and Hosea went to to drive that message home to wayward folks. The darkness is no way to get a life. Jesus is the answer to all of our dark questions. Jesus has given us all the life we will ever need. And the Jesus life is not an easy way. It's not an easy truth. It's not an easy life. Nor is it an ordinary way or an ordinary truth or an ordinary life. The truth is a bit out there, as Hosea found out. Now, in keeping with this notion, I do want to close with just a quick word on the Lord's Prayer. I can't let that pass by without a quick word, particularly on just this one phrase. Thy kingdom come. I just want to remind you once again this morning that God's kingdom knows no boundaries, no walls, no checkpoints, no crossing roads. God's kingdom knows no boundaries. Nationality doesn't matter. Ethnicity doesn't matter. Language? Thank you. Skin color? Political affiliation? Economic status? Liberal conservative? Theological position? If we truly pray this phrase in this prayer, Christians are bound by grace to all persons who profess faith in Jesus as the Christ. For in God's kingdom, there are no boundaries. Now, theoretically, we might think that all Christians should shout amen to that one. But we increasingly live in a time in which society and experience have conditioned us to see one who is our theological or political mirror image as one who is an enemy more than a kingdom mate. Yet along comes this prayer taught by Jesus, a bit out of the ordinary in its time, unfortunately still out of the ordinary in ours, asking that the kingdom of God would come about on earth without bounds or boundaries, and established not only on earth, but indeed in our own backyards. A kingdom in which there are no opposing camps. A kingdom in which those whose differences that would divide are less important than the one whose kingdom it is. A kingdom where putting weapons down is a prerequisite for entrance 
And Jesus is really serious about us praying for this? Are we really ready to embrace that one whose differences we find so objectionable? I am not making this up. Amen. Um.